Here's a thought. What if you woke up to find you'd won $20,000 every month for 20 years? Imagine the possibilities. Set for life from New South Wales Lotteries. Grab an entry in-store or online today. Welcome to yet another edition of A Buck's Sake. I'm your host, Jason. Joining me are the boys in the studio, plus a guest. Welcome, Dave. How are you, mate? Terrific, Jason. Uh, good to be here. Good to be back in the studio. Of course. It's been about nine days since our last podcast. Apologies, we were promoting two podcasts this week. Unfortunately, the uh, the podcast planned for Monday had some uh, some unfortunate technical issues. But what, we are... what are those technical issues, Jase? Well, the plan was to have you on the phone, a phone interview, and part of the technology is for it to work over Wi-Fi, so I call you over Wi-Fi. Uh, unfortunately, apparently, we used all of our internet usage, so it means I couldn't uh, use the Wi-Fi. I was to... wondering if you were going to own up to the reason. It's Netflix. Fact, it's not yeah. Pornhub. It's Netflix. Okay. Too much Netflix, uh, and I'll blame my housemates for that. Joining me also in the studio is the man of the people. I speak, of course, of Buds. Hello, Buds. Good, thanks, Jason. Excellent to be on the, uh, the good end of hump day. Yep, we're halfway through the week now, uh, a couple of days to go. Our guest this week is a guest who has been on before, uh, a very good guest of ours, uh, also the chief football writer. When I say chief, you're essentially the only one there at the moment, but uh, the chief football writer of the age, Michael Lynch. Michael, thanks for joining us. We're multi-talented all at Fairfax. <laughs> In fact, we spread our tentacles widely. I'm even to be found... Often as much and sometimes more in the Sydney Morning Herald. So there you I go. I did notice you on Twitter posting links to the Sydney Morning Herald over the age. What's well, the? Uh, well, no, it just tends to be the first place our um, links come uh, okay. up because all the traffic in Fairfax world is directed to Sydney. Where else? So generally, when a story that I've done gets posted up, it's linked to the SMH.com. So that's what happens. Um, anyway, so, so the FFA and your workplace at Fairfax <laughs> absolutely controlled. All, all dominated, Sydney. yes. I shall probably go and hang myself off the Harbour Bridge any <laughs> moment now. Well, fantastic to have you on. As we said, you've had, had you on before and uh, it's great to have you on once again. Uh, this week, obviously a big show. We've had two games since we last spoke, so we're going to review both the Brisbane game at Amy Park last Friday as well as the dire 3-0 defeat against Wellington. Uh, Member of the Week returns as per usual. We're going to do a listener Q&A with Michael Lynch as well. Uh, we ask for your listener questions throughout the day through Facebook and Twitter. So we're going to get into uh, some of those questions. I think not only football questions, but some questions about life. Uh, some people <laughs> submitted some questions about life in general, so uh, we'll get into that as well. And then we'll review, or preview rather, the match against Perth on Saturday night. The music theme, well, going you know with our theme of letting the hosts choose the music. Last week we did Buds. This week we're going to do Dave. Dave, it is your t- choice. Um, you're up. What, uh, what are you choosing today? Lords of the Riff. So some of my favourite exponents of... Uh, post-Sabbath kind of sounds, mostly after the 1990s. So, yeah, dig in, enjoy, let your hair down. 
a prize goes to anyone who can recognise any of the bands today on the uh, the music theme. Will anyone know a band, Dave? <laughs> Absolutely. I reckon, <laughs> I reckon uh, in fact, I reckon this episode will get the most praise from a music point of view that we've ever had all season. Until next week when it's my go. Well, we'll see. <laughs> all right, let's, let's get started. You are listening to For Fuck's Sake. from our sponsor and the first one is the Ambrosia Floral Designs uh, as seen on the block and also married at first sight which are TV shows uh, you can find them at Unit 1 number 15 Assembly Drive in Tullamarine they specialise in all things floral weddings and corporate events Ambrosia also offer floral workshops which make great gift ideas they are open by appointment only you can call the Ann on 9338-3609 and you can mention FVS to receive a 10% discount off your next order uh, last week we had Tuna on, um, a lot of good praise for that that episode. Uh, we played in the same forum football team, which was held on Saturday. We have to talk about that just briefly. Yes, you did. And uh, it turned out that uh, your team and Tuna's team won it. Yes. So the off, uh, off Tuna's boot. Name a more iconic duo. Oh, wait. Now, myself and uh, Tune... We uh, led the white team to glory. It was a great day. A uh, special shout-out to Mel, who, who uh, organised the event. Great uh, great day for all Vuck fans. Tuna's been emailing during the week asking who did the votes. He's very upset he didn't also get the Ballon d'Or. He missed. He, he won the, the, the Player of the Grand Final Award uh, and was missed, uh, missed the, the Player of the Tournament Award by one vote. Uh, can't, unfortunately, not everyone can win that award. It only goes to the best football players <laughs> you know, in the world. Do you know world. how many... Jason had a record on the on the weekend of no goals, no votes. I uh, I outvoted him in the player of the tournament by threefold, and uh, apparently he was the corner specialist. Plenty of assists. Uh, no, so no I think goals. we've already talked about this for no too mem- long. No memorable corners, but they <laughs> happened apparently. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you have to have sacrificed your own performance for the team, uh, and that's what I did. So I've got a gold medal around my neck. Let's move on to the games, though. Uh, it's, it's weird to know how to begin to discuss the next two games because I'd say in isolation we played 20 minutes of good football and that might mask one result, the fact that we won, we did win 3-2. We'll discuss the Brisbane one first. Who wants to go first? I mean, maybe, maybe we go with, I guess, Lynchy. What, what did you make of the game at Amy Park? 25 minutes of, I'd say, pure domination from the victory and then it all seemed to go a bit haywire, which culminated in the Bessart Barisha red card, which yeah, obviously was well, overturned. it was sort of... It was Friday the 13th and it was yes. full moon. So uh, perhaps we should have expected some delirium and madness. But, yeah, look, I thought actually the first five, Brisbane, I thought, looked the liveliest team. But then from, you know, about the, the fourth or fifth minute... 
for the next 20, 25. There was, it was one-way traffic, terrific free kick from James Treasy, another searching through ball, but really, what on earth was Michael Theo doing for that mm. second goal? Uh, hardly covered himself with glory. He didn't actually move much for the free kick either, did yeah. he? Uh, so, and then I actually took to Twitter with the famous... Um, Tempting fate, and at 3 0, I said this game surely over now after 25 minutes when the pen went in. But fair play to Brisbane, they kept sticking at it, they kept coming forward. They probably should have been 3 3 at half time, actually. Matt Mackay missed a Absolutely. very good chance, yep. and uh, and then that, yeah, well, that kind of crazy second half, which you know. Luke Devere, really, you've got to ask questions. Of, is there something culturally going on in Brisbane? We've got the, the great Jade North face clutch. <laughs> now we've had the great Luke Devere double down and frankly saying to the ref after, oh, he didn't do anything, I didn't mean to get him sent off. I don't think it cuts <laughs> the mustard, actually. You know, I think it, he, he tried to get Barisha in trouble, I think, and um, he succeeded. Now, Barisha doesn't always need a lot of help. He can get himself in plenty of trouble off his own <laughs> volition. But, uh, you know, it, it was a, a harsh decision. Uh, I'm glad the card was rescinded. And in the end, I think justice prevailed when victory held on to win 3-2. Let me ask you, Dave. I just uh, recently read your Twitter bio. You've updated it to be the For Buck's Sake Analyst. So let's uh, get I'm some... I'm glad you're keeping track of my profile. Let's mate. get some, some analysis going. What went wrong? So 3-0 up, cruising, it well, seemed like. And then what went wrong? I think, to begin with, uh, just... A passing note on on the game itself. Um, I didn't realise it was uh, a full moon, but that explains a few things. Definitely and was. there was just so much theatre. I think you know fans on the night, if you were there, we were really treated to sort of a coliseum-like, you know, vibe. You know, was, we were baying for blood. You know, there was joy, there was adulation. You know, we booed, we hissed. You know, we we breathed fucking fire. You, you make know? it, it was sound like, like uh, Beethoven's Ninth. <laughs> It was just one of those experiences. You walked away from that game and it was, like, n- incredible. Well, all human life was there. Well, yeah. gave, this, this game gave you a bit of everything. The first 25 minutes of what we put on the park was championship football, some of the best fluid VUC attacking football you could see. Then a Dimi Petratos worldie, which Lawrence Thomas just had no hope in hell of saving actually sucked the life out of the crowd and the atmosphere of a 3-0 lead. And at 3-1, the jam was well and truly taken out of the donut in the atmosphere at Amy Park. That's what it was for me from, I guess, observing the game. Um, Petratus' free kick, uh, (laughs) I've been struggling to actually... uh, I listed it as the top three of all all time in the A-League that I've ever seen, but... Going back, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if it was actually the best free kick well, we've ever seen. I, I mean, I thought it was extraordinary. It was Roberto Carlos-esque yeah. yep. with the, uh, the venom and uh, velocity with which he struck it. I actually think it probably had more of an effect on the crowd maybe than the players. But Kevin Musket said even you know at that point, bef- the concession of the free kick, he, he thought his players were starting to lose concentration. It was like, you know, coasting, doing it a bit too easy. And, uh, and, and maybe they just sort of took their eye off the ball, literally, as well as metaphorically, and allowed their opposition back in, you know. Uh, but I think, conversely, the second half, you've got to say they concentrated tremendously well. Half an hour defending against a team that you know, was really coming at them. Uh, I thought it was an excellent second-half performance by a 10-man team. Yeah, I, th- I thought so too. I thought um, you'd say that we only played... I think that JC said we only played 
good 20-odd minutes in the last two games. Yeah. I thought it was a win at all costs second half after the after the red card. I thought yeah, it was you're quite right. good. Uh, Valeri was immense in that and Bazanic probably played one of his better thirty five minutes I've seen. Everyone just dug in. It was it was quite good to watch. Um, we were we were so close to scoring a fourth. Uh, yeah, on, a, on a couple of occasions. Yeah, absolutely true. So you hit the angle of the bar and the post, didn't he, with a after that back heel from Fahid Ben Kalfala, but a good point to make about Valeria. I think he was excellent the week before. Yeah, he was. And, um, you know, when he's sort of controlling the tempo and organising that kind of defence or the, the defence in front of the defence, it's a very, very important sort of function of, of how well or otherwise victory are going to play, I think, you mm. know. I thought the red card was a good thing for the game because it brought the crowd back into it and that 20, yeah. how many, 21,000? Yeah. Every, every single person in that stadium was on their feet for the last half an hour just booing. There's one thing Aussie sporting crowds love to do. It is to boo someone and get stuck in, and we did it with full venom. Don't let Tim Cahill hear any booing. It's uh, not I've on for him. absolutely no doubt in my mind that it was the 21,000 people that got us over the line in the end. Um, I think there were times, yeah, you've heard players post-match now talk about the fact that they were absolutely bamboozled by how loud things were. Um, yeah, reminiscent of, of the grand final a couple yeah. of seasons ago in terms of the volume. I think someone remarked on uh, FBS TV when I was interviewing him that the 12th man became the 11th man as we had a man sent off. And it really did, did ignite the crowd. Uh, you were right there, Buds. I did say we played 25 minutes of good football, but the last half hour or so we held on for for all all we could uh, was was pretty amazing in itself. We did come away with a three points on that one. Um, they batted they batted us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They they really bashed us. Well, yeah, you'd expect that, wouldn't you? I mean, they're not a bad side. They've no, they're quite good. They got a lot of attacking options, a lot of good go forward, and they're desperate for put, to, to rescue a point, And they're eleven against ten, so you know uh, I'm not surprised they battered you. What I was pleasantly surprised by was, I guess, the defensive structure organisation and the scrambling and the vehemence with which Victory were able to dig in and protect that lead because psychologically, I think if they'd surrendered a 3-0 lead and only taken a point out of that game, I think it would have been a big hit. Obviously, didn't really have an impact in Wellington because they weren't, <laughs> I was they weren't just about to say. Yeah. after, but <laughs> we didn't know that at the time. That's right. Um, Buds, I really liked a word that you used maybe a week or two ago, about describing the way victory play and that we attack in clusters. I think you used the word. I um, did. And, and during those periods, you know, we play unstoppable football, but then we have these lapses. And against Adelaide, those lapses were not seized upon by Adelaide. Yeah. But we did say better sides They nearly would. were. I was in Adelaide for that game. And, uh, you know, wasn't that when... Is this free kick hit the bar? Was that against victory, wasn't it, when it was 1-0? And Isaias had, the, or was that the second? I was covered both the City and the Victory games, but I think it was against Victory that Isaias free kick, was it? Hit the bar at 1 0? I can't quite recall. I think that may have been the City game. Oh, was that I think the that City game, city game. anyway? Yep. Yep. Uh, but the Adelaide had a fair few chances. Yep. Maybe Isaias did something good there again. See, they all blend into one yeah. sometimes. Serio, <laughs> Isaias. Yeah. Yeah, but but look, my point was, though, after that Adelaide game, I thought Adelaide aren't far off it. Yeah. And they probably. Sh- could have come away with something out of that game. And they backed victory. it up with a good win against they City. they backed it up, yeah, yeah, with the 87th minute smacker from the yeah. the young lad to, to give him a last gas win against City. And, and that could have been seen coming as well, you know. 
I think if there's one thing that you can bank on Melbourne victory doing in every game so far this season and probably into the future this season, it's having patches where we turn off. Yeah. We, don't, we don't play 90 minutes of consistent football where we don't switch off. We have a switch off mode. It happens every Why game. Why is that then? I mean, champion teams don't do that. Well, maybe we're not a champion team yet. I think we've got the qualities. I mean, we didn't have a switch on mode last night. So. Yeah. Let's, let's get into that uh, because the old saying is you're only as good as your last game and the last game was last night. Uh, 3-0 loss to the victory in Wellington. Uh, Ned Zellich wrote a tweet which I thought resonated quite well. Uh, he said that victory just aren't uh, a Tuesday windy night in Wellington team. Yeah. They're an Australian, you know, they're a Friday Saturday night team in uh, in Australian Eastern Standard Time. Uh, that that just uh, I Big think that, city show. Hearts. Yeah, I think like and, it, and it felt weird. I mean, I know it was a rescheduled game that had to be played midweek, but it felt weird watching us in in Wellington with a, an empty stadium, not much atmosphere, shit conditions, and it just didn't feel right. And it, obviously. The, the questions will be posed about Kevin Muscat's tactics here or his decision not to rest players. I think you're doomed either way because if you don't rest players and you lose, you get this kind of vitriol. And can I just if say you do really rest players and you lose, you get this kind of, why didn't we go after it? A really annoying time for the game to be on if you've got young kids. They're not in bed yet. And, uh, well, time zones, in Dave. Way. What else can you do? Time uh, zones. So you play the game um, at 9.30? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, look, just... Switch on mode. There, yeah, exactly right. There wasn't any of it last night. Complacency set in. We just were uninspiring. And, you know, the, the captain had an off game. Uh, it was just ugly. When Rojas walked off against Brisbane on Friday night, the kid had nothing left. Absolutely nothing left. He started that game like he kind of had nothing in him either. Uh, that's not his fault. It's just his victim of circumstance. Um, I'm not going to bash Kev with this game. Uh, there was things that could have been done. I'm the one. I'm probably the one of the three who gets reactionary and says things on emotion quite a lot. Uh, I'm not going to do that with this game. I think this is the game we had to have. It was a speed bump. Kev certainly didn't help the situation with tactics or the lineup. But I went into this game even with my punting mind too, knowing that this was going to be the banana skin. Um, yep. And people were losing their minds. The Vark populace were losing their collective minds last night with the performance. And in the first half, we actually didn't play that bad. Just looked like we couldn't get to grips with the conditions or Wellington. If you had a look at those corner flags in the first half, they were just absolutely just stiff and up. Like, mm. it, was, it looked like it was hard. We couldn't control the ball. Wellington is the cold night in Stoke. Yeah. Dave, let me ask you about the lineup because... For all intents and purposes, Kevin Musket went in with what he deems to be his full-strength side. You'd say Alan Burrow came back and he made a decision between Ansel and Donicky and Ansel won out. Do you think that was the right decision? I don't, I don't think Donicky did anything wrong to lose his spot. Yeah, totally agree. It was a really strange... I mean, Burrow coming in was, coming in was a foregone conclusion. Yeah. But I thought that if you're ever going to make rotations and rest people it'll be for the Perth game before Mm -hmm. the Australia Day clash against Sydney so it just seems strange to change the back four given how well they were performing Uh, anyway um, hard to hard to really understand as well why a guy like Rojas was 
thrown in again. I don't. Oh, yeah. come on. He's a Kiwi. He's from Wellington. He used to play <laughs> That's there. what we he brought never, up last week. He was but never, ever not going to yeah. start that game. He would have killed Muskie. Well, he, he would have tried. I told you. Uh, after, you know, if he hadn't started, that he would have wanted to play. After the game in Geelong, Kev said, this isn't a, this isn't a congested fixture. Why should I have to change the team? Well, that's thought, what we're here to talk about, as in yeah. the fact that it backfired on us. I think he's obviously gone into it, sized them up with staff, and they've said, this is the one we're going to get the three points at. We're going to treat Perth maybe like the banana skin. We'll try and nick a draw there or whatever. It backfired. It's actually not a congested fixture if you're playing in England or France or no. Italy. The, the problem, I mean, it's not a problem for footballers, surely, playing every three or four days. That is not an issue. Yeah. The issue, of course, is the ridiculous distances we have here and the mm. fact that they have to go to a foreign country to play a league game, which adds hours and hours and hours to the trip too because you, it's, it's an international flight, so you've got to get there. I did the maths and yeah. I think it was, well, this week it'll be something like around 16 hours of flying in total for the majority of the squad. It's just unheard of. What would you have done, Lynchy? Take off your journalist cap, put on your football manager 2017 cap. <laughs> what would you have done? Would you have rested players? Um, well, I think... Uh, where were we? Tuesday. So within a nine-day period, Wellington away, Perth away, Sydney at home. Yeah, I probably would have wanted yeah. to rotate. I would have left Rojas in, though, because I I would know what this game meant to him. But, I mean, they've always talked about the great depth of the squad and the interchangeability of so many players and that everyone from 1 to 22 is, can do a job. So I, I perhaps would have would have even left players in Melbourne and not yeah. taken them I thought that was to New as Zealand. Well. I would have perhaps, you know, Jai Ingham and guys like this, given them a full 90, Mitch Austin. Had a, yep. He came off the bench, didn't he? But, you know, and just really sort of said, OK, you're not first-teamers, but you're not stiffs either. Yeah. You're very much part of it. Here's your chance. Go and show us what you can do. I also do. think the decision to... Bring them home to Melbourne for forty-eight hours is a bit I odd think that's as well. To do with lack of uh, direct flights, yeah, okay. It, from uh, from uh, the shaky Isles, okay, that makes sense. Probably should have just trolled the FFA and just gotten the red card rescinded and rested best. Yeah, well, and just taken the piss with that because I tell you what, with the output that we got from him last night, might not may as well have not even mm. appealed. The reason I'm talking about a guy like Rojas and, and, and agree with you on Bess is that I think we underestimate how much that 3-2, um, how much effect that had on the phys- physical condition of our players. I think emotionally as well it would have had yeah. quite an impact. I mean, going to, let's face it, a stadium where the crowds are terrible, not that many people seem to care, zero, very little atmosphere, poor conditions. I mean, emotionally that would have been quite a big letdown as well after the, the uh, heroics of the Friday night too, you know? Uh, someone, a squad player that gets brought up plenty, uh, we've discussed him, discussed him on the, forum, on the uh, podcast, and we've got a lot of questions that, uh, from the listeners who want me to ask you about Max Beister. Oh, yeah, yeah. What do you, you think's up with Max Beister? He was, he's been left out of the squad. He's, when he is put on the, uh, on the team or put on the field, he plays for 10, 15 minutes total. Five, what's five, go- yeah, five. Four what? and a half. Has this been, has been a Connor, bust? He's getting the Connor Payne treatment, yeah. really, isn't he? Uh, look, I mean, I think when he arrived here, he, by his own admission and by everyone involved, they said he was no way near match fitness. Now, that mm. was, what, early November, mid-November yeah. when he got here? At six weeks away, you know, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll say he's had to work hard to get up to fitness. But I think, you know, he, he needs game time, but... 
from the other point of view, this is a team that's won six on the spin. Yeah. Why would you change your winning lineup? You know, you've got Fahid Ben Kalfala finally, after a kind of eighteen month hiatus, mm-hmm. showing us the form that he had. Um, you know, when he first that first season he was here, yeah. perhaps not coincidentally to do with Beister's arrival. Mm-hmm. So he's playing really well. Rojas is playing really well. They're your two wide men. Sometimes you just actually have to wait for your chance yeah. for someone to get injured, be suspended, or have a bad game. Particularly if the team's on a winning roll. Now they've lost one. Well, maybe this will be the chance to sh- shake things. And up. now Kev's hand is forced by the fact that Calfella. And Geria are suspended, so these rotations are forced, and who knows, maybe he wouldn't have made them if they weren't forced. Uh, He played them in Perth as well. A lot of speculation that those yellow cards were simply just clear-out yellow cards because perhaps the the strategy was to go in to the Perth game with a few of those guys rested, maybe just clear out a few yellow cards. Oh, perfect. I'm all Get for it. Yeah, they were good. They, the, the game needed them to beat those guys. It's got to a be long signed. and honourable tradition, hasn't it? I mean, David Beckham, Moldova for England years oh, ago, you do you remember? And <laughs> plenty of blokes pick up uh, cards when it's convenient for them. So there's a decent strategy from Kev. That, that, that one worked at least. Well, do we Ke- give... Kevin would know all about those flying yeah. moves as well, <laughs> wouldn't he? <laughs> Do we give the the Nucks any credit? I mean, Glenn Moss pulled out a ripper of a save when it was one nil. I think it, you know, he prevented us from equalising. Could have been a different game. They, I think, yeah. Well, you, you got to give the Nucks credit. I think they they smashed us in the crossing department. I think they they doubled our crosses thirty four to seventeen. So they got with the conditions and they had a game style that they obviously stuck to because they they kept peppering us and in the, in the second half they were just they were just all over us we had more possession we had more passes uh nine that, that sh- doesn't always translate to no, wins these days nine shots with two on target mossy that save mossy only had to do one more after that one we just didn't we didn't turn up and we didn't Mm. That Broxham shot though was unreal. Mm. It was very stiff to uh, to miss out on on scoring there. Uh, do you have any votes for us, buds? Have you collated those at all? Yeah, we had. I think we got the last three games. Do you remember that back that back that far? Okay. Now I can remember two beforehand. The Brisbane game we had Troisi three, Rojas two, and Brox one. Yep. And then last night we had Laurie T with three. Yep. Which is amazing because he just can see three <laughs> goals. But I, I agree with that. He, he was made to work hard uh, for his Valeri point. with two and Brox with one. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll give an updated schedule or updated table on that one shortly. James Troisi is making a very big run at uh, yeah. Marco Rojas's 23 votes at the moment. It's a bit of a cliche to talk about stability at the back and the fact that you know, an unchanged back four is... is the foundation upon you, you know, you build a, t- a title yeah. challenge. Um, Nick Ansell um, has come into a pretty solid back four with a couple of appearances in the last couple of weeks. And during that time, we've shipped five goals in those two games. So is it just a case of, you know, he's coming back up to speed or a lack of familiarity between the two central defenders? What is it? Well, could be a mixture of all. It, it just shouldn't have been changed. Could, it it would also just be victory played like crap the other yeah. night. And, you know, whoever <laughs> was playing at the bank would have looked yeah. not great. Uh, yeah, he looked short of a run. He looked short of a run on yeah. Friday, which everyone thought that would be the case. But last night he just looked terrible. He didn't look up to A-League standard. Of course, circumstances meant that he had to play on Friday. But I think there's no there's no reason why he should have changed that, that formula that was working so well over a, a, the span of about two months. So who comes in for Cal Feller? Probably Austin. 
uh, given that that was his position beforehand. We'll preview that in a, yeah. at the end of the show. But uh, yeah, we'll look into that. Uh, now it is time for Memet of the Week. Yeah, what do you do, you know? Um... When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's... Remember Jurakovic. When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's more. It's been a while since the referees were discussed on For Fuck's Sake, but we believe that the past week of A-League football demands that they are awarded this week's Memet of the Week. And uh, we had a lot of calls from people on Twitter and Facebook to give it to Kev, but we're not going to be that reactionary, although we'd love to be reactionary, but not this week. Uh, The referees had a nightmare this week, uh, not just in the Melbourne Victory game in which Bessart Barisha was unfairly given a red card um, by a linesman, but also in the uh, City Adelaide game when there was a, a goal that uh, was scored by City, which was an obvious, well, they called it offside, but it was an obviously onside goal. Colazzo's uh, goal, yeah. Colazzo's goal. Spoke to Michael Valcarnis, if we may mention these names yes. on such a podcast. <laughs> Earlier this afternoon, and Valcarnis said actually the referee and the assistants apologised to them after the game for getting that one wrong. Um, that would have put 62-1 up, and I think it could have been a pretty different outcome, actually. Not sure if apologies make it any better for him, no, though, does it? No, I think it just rubs it <laughs> yeah. in. But uh, it was a lovely goal, actually. N- lovely pass from Luke Bratton. And uh, true, but, you know, the other mistakes you were going to talk about, the, the handball in Sydney. The handball in the Sydney derby, which was quite obvious as well. And that's a, that's obviously a big uh, mistake because it was a nil-all draw. And Sydney big, undefeated. Big could've... repercussions in terms of our ability to yeah. chase Sydney down oh, as yeah. well. Sydney lose, unbeaten run gone. What psychological effect does it have? Victory are only, what were they, two? They would have only been a point behind, wouldn't they, uh, if that had happened? At the time. Yeah, we're five points now. Yeah, five had we have beaten Wellington. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, huge, huge impact. But, I, I, look, this is probably going to sound very unpopular with the listeners, may even be unpopular with you three. I really believe that the referees, none of them go out there to make a mistake. Mm. They all try and get it right. They all try and do the best they can. And to be honest, I suspect referees make far more far fewer mistakes than players make. They're just probably more decisive in their impact. But, you know... Um, yeah, they're the decision-maker of the game. P- players make, I think, a lot more mistakes with bad passes, missing open goals, all that sort of thing. But the refs always cop it. And to some extent, that's their role in life and society, isn't it? To, to be the... Uh, exactly. The, then the scapegoats, but... Uh, Sometimes we should spare a thought for them occasionally. Yeah, and then obviously the, the red card, which was uh, changed, changed the game. And you said that the, uh, the missed handball has had an impact on the victory. That could have had a huge impact on the victory as well if we lost that game. And so I guess in that case, the linesman has obviously been conned by yeah. Devere's reaction. Well, it looks that way, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, big lad so doubling the... over as if he'd been shot. Like a stunned yeah. mullet, you know. Yeah. So the punishment, I guess, yeah, we've awarded Mehmet to the referees, but I guess, uh, you know, there, there was talk, what was it, you know, uh, start of the season about, you know, the league coming down hard on simulation. Uh, yeah, and well, there's been very little action. Well, apart from uh, our rat-tailed, pony-tailed friend uh, <laughs> up at uh, Bandura, he's, he's had a couple of yeah. weeks suspension, but that wasn't actually for diving. But maybe they just gave him one and one extra for his diving in the past. Yeah. He deserves it. <laughs> yeah, of course. So that is this week's Mehmet. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be a few referees who are having a few weeks off over the next couple of rounds. And, uh, yeah. A couple of assistant referees, maybe. Yeah. <laughs>
Another sponsor of For Fuck's Sake is the LIT Services. You can contact Pete for anything IT related if you need help. You can reach Pete on 1-800-843-695. And uh, at the LIT Services, they give a hoot. A reminder as well that For Fuck's Sake Live is going to be on February 11 at the Lomond Hotel in East Brunswick. Uh, I have had discussions with uh, the guys who are going to play the bands afterwards. So uh, hopefully next week I'll be confirming the bands playing afterwards. I can tell you what, I've booked an absolute couple of rippers here. Um, some big name Ooh. bands that well not that not big name bands but I reckon one day there could be big name bands so we you'll, you'll be able to say one day that you saw these these names down at the fuck's sake pub live. bands with potential Jace. yeah pub bands with potential I'm all four pub rock mate yeah. used to go to plenty of it in yeah. the late seventies and early eighties in uh, London are you, you going to come down then Chief, to oh, I'm doing well, a live well, podcast well, not, yeah, I'll, I'll come along I'll, how can I resist it yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get you on couple of beers couple of beers and a bit of sounds we'll get you onto the uh, all star panel uh, we're going to do a bit of a Q&A with you, Lynchy. Uh, so we asked, as mentioned, our listeners to submit some questions via Facebook and Twitter. And I must say, it is getting better each week we do this. Normally we get people who take the piss, but now very serious questions submitted by our listener base, which is great. So thank you for, for that to our listeners. Did our friend ask why water is wet uh, today? No, Tom G <laughs> this week asked why the sky was blue. Ah. Uh, so he, he couldn't resist, as per usual, but well, unfortunately... Because the French Impressionist decided <laughs> it would be so. Everyone's a comedian. Everyone's a comedian. Uh, but we're going to start off with some questions, and I guess the big one of this week, uh, which will have um, some impacts with impact on victory as well as also in Asia, and you wrote about this today, Lynchy, yeah. uh, is the four plus one visa spot. So the inclusion of a mandatory Asian player into the A-League. I think that's going to commence. Well, you wrote about yeah, the... Yeah, well, I wrote more about the Chinese the, changing the Chinese. their rules yeah. and how that's going to make it a lot harder for Australians. Although I do see that hasn't stopped Robbie Cruz and James yeah. Holland uh, apparently have had their deals inked and yeah. confirmed that uh, Liao Ning Hu win yeah. uh, earlier today. But, so, uh, yeah, look, in general, I think that will make it a lot harder. I mean, the Chinese clubs can sign five foreigners but can only play three so with all the will in the world you know if you've got endless streams of money why are you going to spend it on Aussies when you Mm. go out and buy really good attacking midfielders Mm. and and strikers from South America and Europe who probably will make the difference you know so China decide to get rid of it We've yeah. decided to implement it. So it will be implemented in the A-League from season 18-19. Yeah, I, I think it's all right. My colleague in Sydney, Simon Hill, wrote quite a big column today about Australia's engagement with the a- AFC in the Asian region. I, I think it's a good idea. I mean, um, it, it will sort of plug us a lot more into Asia. It'll make our teams uh, have to do a lot more work in terms of scouting players. Uh, I think there's some nuggets and bargains that will be found there. Um, And generally, you know, it it might actually start attracting, uh, and Simon made this point, I mean, during the Asian Cup, we saw all these disparate immigrant communities coming out. You know, the atmosphere when Iran was playing at Amy Park and things like that. Just going to say, imagine imagine cracking... Fantastic. So if you had a good Mm. Iranian player playing in in Melbourne or or in Sydney or wherever, you suddenly might, you know, get all the Iranian fans out or, or... Koreans, whatever, you know, and, and I think that, that that's a big benefit, actually. Do you think, though, Buds, that, or Dave, whoever wants to answer this question, do you think we're going to get the big-name players who could usually 
earn much better uh, coin in their home countries such as Japan or Korea. Are we going to get those type of players? Probably not in the immediate term because yeah. obviously we've still got only the two marquee slots mm. and I think the way... Well, they won't be marquees. They'll be the Asian plus ones, so they won't count as marquee players. No, but to, to attract the yeah. real cream of the crop in Asia, well, you've got to be able to out-compete Japan not, not and China. Happen, it? Exactly, yeah. It just you depends know? on your scouting <laughs> network and what countries you're going to go to. You might not get the Japanese or Koreans, or you might get some on the tail end of their career. But as well, Lynchy alluded to... Here, Kazu, you, yeah, Kane, yeah. He, uh, Shinji Ono, that sort yeah. of player can yeah. make a massive contribution. Yeah, but mm. if you're going to look for younger or someone in their prime, as um, Lynchy alluded to, like you go to Iran, the Persian football scene there, the Persian scene's huge. The Persian population here is huge. You go into the Gulf states, more the Western Asia, you could probably find a few. And you, you never know what... The clubs, like, we've got good resources, what they could find in Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, any, anywhere like that. I'm sure we could attract, I'd really like an Uzbek at the club or, you know, like or a Kazakh I reckon there's only 20 like of those that. in Australia, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Judging by the crowds at Amy Park that day, they played Saudi Arabia. But, uh, no, look, in general, I think it's a positive thing because it will increase the engagement, which has often been reluctant in this country. There's kind of lip service about it. We want the benefits of being in the Asian Football Confederation but, you know, we don't always want to sort of do do what has to be done to be a, a full-on member and I think this will, yeah. this will help. Yeah. Our next question is in regards to out-of-contract victory players and I guess people assume that since you are the uh, the head journal at the age you've got some inside knowledge or perhaps some educated. Uh... When I started as a journalist, I was told never assume anything, <laughs> and I think it's a good rule for your listeners to uh, to have as well. Well, I'll put some questions to you, and uh, we'll Give just some names. Think cool. we'll just drop this as well. I don't know if you know this, uh, Lynch. We're we're newsbreakers around here. Last week we broke the news that Jason Gary was signing on, mm. and you deal with the victory. Um, we got the years wrong. It was three years, not two, uh, but nonetheless we were correct. Uh, Lawrence Tom also also signed, but there's still quite a number of victory players out of contract. I count about 11 uh, that are remaining at the moment, or 12 or 11, so I'm just going to throw a few names at you, uh, perhaps the star players, and you just tell me if you've heard anything that's you know close to completion or what your gut instinct is. Uh, we'll start off with a skipper who's out of contract at the end of the year, Carl Valeri. Do you well, think he'd stay? How old is Carl now? 32. I think if Carl carries on playing, I can't see why he'd yeah. want to go anywhere else or do anything else or be if if Carl carries on playing wants to carry on I think he's definitely still worth another year so I'd be surprised if he went I mean the only thing you'd say if suddenly Canberra got an A-league license and they offered him the captaincy and you know be our foundation skipper because he's from Canberra but I can't I can't see that happening anyway the star man at the moment James Tracy's also a contract yeah he's more problematic isn't he because he's just got this history and you wrote about him last week didn't you yes I wrote a lot about him a couple of times uh, after his, I was in Adelaide for the victory game. He was excellent there, really, really good. Um, he's got this history of a sort of, to put it politely, peripatetic uh, mm-hmm. career trajectory, hasn't he? I mean, he's, he's had uh, that many clubs, about eight or ten clubs, and James always seems to sort of have a good season and then wants to, to use that as a springboard to something which may be better. The reality is he does seem to play his best football here in Melbourne, actually, at Melbourne Victory. Yes, he may go in pursuit of a bigger pay packet. Who knows? Uh, he's not getting any younger. He's 28, 29 now. Yeah. Um, 
the, the Chinese ch rule changes will probably hurt someone like him because he's fallen out of the international team picture. Um, it didn't affect Robbie Cruz that much because he's clearly a, a first-choice player. James is not a current international, so maybe that Chinese thing will, will, will give him a bigger chance to... Or victory a bit, bigger chance to keep him. If he's going to chase money and go, he'll go, and the Middle East or somewhere will probably offer him big quits. But he's been there before and it hasn't worked. So mm. if I was advising him, I'd probably say get a good deal out of victory and play well here and you can get yourself back in the national team because he's in the sort of form that I think demands a recall. But maybe oh. he's getting bad advice. The fact that he... <laughs> well, that's always possible, The yes. fact that he has moved so much to eight to ten clubs yeah, suggests cool. that the the agents involved are mm. constantly fishing for something yeah, well, bigger. Maybe he's getting bad advice, Dave, but here's the rub. This bloke is 28, 29. He's a big grown-up boy. Yeah. He doesn't have to <laughs> yeah. listen to the advice the agents give him. If it's his parents or his agents or his mates down the pub, in the end, he's a big grown-up boy who is 28, 29, and he has to take the consequences of his own decisions. So, you know, I don't actually allow any slack for players yeah. on that grounds. You know, all the rest of us are in different various jobs and careers, and we all make choices, and we live or die by the success or otherwise of those decisions. Mm. I'll ask you one more. And uh, there's another guy who broke some news when we interviewed him, Fahid Ben Kalfala. When we interviewed him, he said he wanted one more year before retiring. He's taking up a foreign spot, 34 years old. The yeah. form has been improved this year, but would you give him one more year? It's problematic. If he was an Aussie, I think you'd definitely say, yep, yeah, OK, you, you can still be in our strongest 23. Um, I don't think he's qualified for an Australian passport for quite a while yet. I think Fahid wants to stay and settle in Australia, doesn't he? And he, he yeah, wants to bring his I child. think he's indicated he's going to stay in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. so um, I, I would like... I actually think he can still do a job. He's... It will be of pensionable age this time next yeah. year but uh, as a squad member. But it just all depends on what kind of cattle they can get from overseas. And uh, if they can get better than him that's seven or eight years younger, it may be curtains for him. Yeah, yeah. because he pro we, probably, we did the deduction, I think, one or two weeks ago. And if we were to make the Asian Champions League... It looks like he'd probably be the one that's chopped again. Yeah. Well. So would you would you give him another year if we were playing in that tournament? Yeah. He wouldn't play. So that's exactly right. Uh, a question we get a lot when we have guests on um, of your stature is expansion. What, five foot eight. A <laughs> <laughs> league expansion. Uh, of course, you've been covering football in this country for a very long time, and where <laughs> expansion long. seems all but confirmed for the next year or two, uh, and we'd say we'd have a few. Front runners for the uh, for the new slots in Tasmania, Wollongong, South Melbourne, etc. Who are your choices to get into uh, into the league? Well, if I had, you know, if I was the grand poobah, the commissar and czar of it all, I'd move as quickly as I could to have two divisions of sixteen teams. I think we really need promotion and relegation because there's no penalty for mediocrity and failure and we saw with the Central Coast how appalling they were last year as a result of that. But more to the point you, you grow the footballing infrastructure, you provide jobs you provide uh, opportunities for players, for coaches, for referees for managers, for everything in the kind of football ecosystem will grow if you have uh, a bigger, bigger slice of the pie. That's probably, though, something that's not going to happen in the foreseeable future. Um, if we were going to have three teams brought into the A-League, my, my choice would actually be one in Perth, one in Adelaide, one in Sid uh, and one in Brisbane. Interesting. Because I, I think 
personally, I think derbies, and we've seen it here in Melbourne, we've seen it in Sydney, I think derbies help to grow the game. They, they provide a rivalry and, and a creative tension. So that would be my choice. However, that's not going to happen either. I think the fix is in. South Sydney is almost certainly the FFA want it. Everything happens in Sydney. They want that. So that will probably get one of them. If I had to choose uh, another one, I'd actually like to see a traditional team back in, whether it was Sydney United, South Melbourne, uh, Melbourne Knights, any of those, uh, Sydney Olympic. One of the teams, or preferably two actually, uh, that without them and without the people that invested time and effort and commitment to develop this sport, we wouldn't have an A-League. Yep. We wouldn't have any players. you know. And I think now... The time, what, 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 and I've said this before, what gets me is when 10,000 blokes called Papadopoulos put on a Socceroo shirt, it's a marvellous tribute to the multicultural mix yeah. of uh, Australia. When they put on a blue one and go down to Bob Jane Stadium, they're called Wogs and Greeks, uh, you know, stopping the game develop. You can't have it both ways. I'll ask you about. Uh, the A-League promotion in general, obviously, at the moment, the Big Bash League is on, the NBL is on. It seems to be getting better media coverage than the A-League, and that's not surprising whatsoever. Is the FFA doing enough to, to promote the game at the moment? Well, a lot of the big push for certainly Big Bash comes from television exposure, doesn't yeah. it? You know, you've got, you've got a free-to-air network that's kind of, you know, advertising and pumping the bejesus out of its uh, primetime product. And you've also got that network doing cross-promotion. So you'll get people on morning shows and news programmes and magazines. And uh, until, I think, football gets a reasonable FTA deal, it's not going to see that kind of promotional push. Should the game go hard to take on the BBL? You know, it's only six weeks. And, yeah. and you know, I actually have never watched a BBL game. I, I, or they're good. I can't, <laughs> or they're good. I, I, Every game's good, Lynch. It's, it's, it's a meaningless competition. It? I mean, it's like rounders, really. I mean, they might as well have it's a meaningless machine. competition. What, what happens at the end of six weeks? You say it's meaningless, but the Bogans in the in, at my yeah, it's, uh, not, at, it's not cricket. On. It's a different sport. Yeah, but at my at my workplace, you go downstairs and in the factory where the other where the other lot hang, the, the Bogans, other lot the Bogans aren't talking A League, mate. They're talking yeah. Big Bash. Oh, you got they a got finger Big on Bash the pulse there, mate. They got Big Bash Super Coach. Yeah, but they're they're the ones that are, the TV are feeding. Look, and this is what they're the ones buying why, the tickets. Yeah, this is why it works, right? They yeah, manufactured and created a sport that isn't cricket, but has vestiges of cricket and can be marketed around iconic mm. stadia and and you know trappings of the game. But it's not of great interest, and as Dave says, you, know, you don't be, know the score. It might be a crap day. game, but the people who are running it are smarter than the people that are running our game. Yeah, well, maybe I agree they that are. Completely. Absolutely, maybe yeah. they are. But a lot of it is to do with the fact that cricket is coming from a very entrenched position of power and strength for over 100 years in this society. So there is a residual kind of uh, element of people who are prepared to welcome it anyway just because it's cricket. Mm. And secondly, that, that FTA deal, the free-to-air television yeah. cross-exposure, makes massive difference. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I We've think never nailed it. We've never nailed it. Fundamentally, it's very easy to exploit dumb people. The formula is, <laughs> is there. But it's I'd so hate easy. us to have five-a-side football as the prime uh, <laughs> yeah. mode. 15 minutes each way, that's it, boys. Yeah, true. That's a good point. Uh, we're going to get on to some Premier League things uh, because you are a Spurs fan. Uh, we've got a question oh, in from a... Very much, yeah. We've yeah. got a question from a, uh, a listener who's also a Spurs fan uh, and one of our guests from a few weeks ago, Beanhead. Do you think Spurs are going to win the league this year? I think they're too far away. I don't know if we're going to win the league. I certainly think we can. 
can. I mean, Chelsea are seven points clear, I yes, think, at the are. top. I think the big... Uh, I mean, if, and I am a gambling man, sadly, but um, I would probably have a decent whack on Chelsea because not only are they seven points clear at the moment, they don't have the distractions of any European football. Yeah. We saw last year with Spurs, we were chasing it um, against Leicester. All right, we cracked up towards the death. But I think that Thursday-Sunday, Thursday-Sunday routine with the Europa League took its toll on Tottenham. We'll be having to do that again now from, from February onwards. All the other pursuing teams, with the exception of Liverpool. Liverpool they yeah. don't have that. I don't think Liverpool are that good. I, I don't think they're anywhere near as good as Chelsea. Well, so, so I don't think they are, to be <laughs> honest. But um, there you go. So we'll, we'll find out a lot, though, this weekend, because Man City on the rebound uh, at the Etihad take on Tottenham, who've won the last six. So we'll find out a little bit about both those clubs, actually. It seems like the teams that do have the, the double-up of Champions League or Europa and the league are struggling more than ever these days to actually maintain their league position. Whereas, you know, going back, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, it was a lot more manageable. It seems like... Well, I think, th- I think the premiership's probably a more competitive... You, yeah. Instead of having a big two yeah. or three, which you probably had 15 years ago, you've now got a, a big six... And, and Tottenham are just in there. And when they move to the new stadium, which will be 75,000 capacity, mm. they'll start generating even greater revenues. Yeah. So what you've basically got, I think, now is, is a much tougher sort of battle to, to, to maintain your spot amongst the top four. And therefore, those re- result, you can't really sort of play the twos every game like you could do, you know, uh, uh, 15 years ago when yeah. Arsenal were making Champions League finals. You know, they could probably play the second team knowing that it wasn't... It wasn't going to be that hard. Well, no, you can't. You can't do that now because you've got teams like Stoke that are spending twenty, twenty-five million. On yeah, the TV got, money has yeah. has made them. I mean, you know, the biggest example, best example I could have think of that years ago, a couple of years ago, when Johan Kabay left Paris Saint-Germain. Now, Kabay was a French international. Um, and, and captain of the club and all that. Mm. You know, if he leaves a team like PSG five years ago, he's probably going to go to Inter, to AC Milan. And Atletico I'm Madrid, feeling Atletico Madrid. glad all over. But instead he, he goes to, to Palace because the money is so enormous. Yeah. Let's ask about you in your heyday back in England. <laughs> yeah. Now, we're, a big, we're obviously uh, a podcast that... Uh, devotes a lot of our time to music with yeah. music themes and so forth. We had a question in from Steve Hewlett uh, about asking you about the gigs that you went to when you were a young chap. What kind of uh, gigs, what kind of bands did you see when you were a young kid? And, you know, well, g- given bands? that I'm an old boy now, yeah. I was a young kid in the mid-70s. Uh, look, I, the, the first series of gigs that I used to go to, the Faces, back in the day when Rod Stewart was proper and Ronnie Wood and all those guys yeah. were in the band in the early 70s, they used to play a series of concerts at the Kilburn State, which was a big cinema, Kilburn High Road in northwest London. I grew up Wilson Green, Crickwood, Kilburn area, so it's very close to home. So we'd go there and um, we used to bunk in the back, actually. We wouldn't have tickets or anything, so you'd just sort of jemmy open the cinema doors yeah. at the back and get in with your mates. So I used to go and watch the faces. I remember going to see Thin Lizzy at the uh, Imperial College Hotel, uh, Imperial College Students' Union. Yeah. I was about 15, so I was a long way from being a, a student. That would have been about 1973. And then on into the, you know, the sort of punk era. I used to go to the 100 Club 
occasionally uh, up in Water Street. I saw The Clash many, many times, The mm-hmm. Music Machine. I used to go to The Music Machine in Camden Town, which was a, a really good sort of punk rock type venue at the time. So, yeah, I saw all those bands, The Jam, Star Council, The Clash. Yeah. saw Elvis Costello in a pub up in Islington. <laughs> Pretty momentous he... time around that era, wasn't oh, it? It was a great Huge. time. Yeah. It's great. Just growing up then, in that late 70s period, as a t- sort of late teenager, you know, the bands were all... Everything was happening. The whole punk rock thing exploded, and it, it just created a, a new dynamism and a real kind of vibey atmosphere. I mean, we were, you know, young and silly and naive. We thought rock against racism could actually change the world, yeah. you know? <laughs> we thought that The Clash and uh, bands like that could actually affect social and political change. We all tried to join bands. We all tried to start bands. Everything... But it, it seemed that everything was possible. I imagine if you're 18 or 19 now, I hope it feels that way now, uh, I'd hate to think that nah. they were now so cynical. Nah, it's, now it's just Kendall Jenner wearing class T-shirts around uh, <laughs> and trending night spots around LA. No. Yeah. That's all it is. <laughs> or models wearing Ramones T-shirts, yeah. not knowing that that's actually them. a band. I saw the Ramones at uh, the Astoria, Finsbury Park, the Rainbow, yeah. which was an old cinema converted into a, a music venue. I saw them one year and the year before. This shows you how quickly fashions and music change. Yeah. I went to the... To the Rainbow Tour, Bad Company yeah. in 1973, which was a was a sort of super group at the time, made up of blokes who'd been in Free and Mop the Hoople. And then, like about 15 months later, we've all cut our hair and we're all watching <laughs> the Ramones and wearing ripped jeans <laughs> and, ear- and, and safety pin earrings and stuff. You know, it's just it's what it's great though to be young, isn't it? It's what you do. I wouldn't mind seeing some photos of you with safety pin earrings. <laughs> with photos of me with hair. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was. It was, it was it was florid. I had a gothic white face and scarlet locks. I'm afraid I had Cameron Ling colour hair. Oh, <laughs> back okay. In the day. Bit Maybe we won't look for those. Filthy ranger. Probably don't want to look at that. <laughs> well, we do thank uh, thank you for filling those questions, and also thanks to our listeners for asking them. Uh, we will hold another Q and A session with uh, with a guest in the next uh, next few weeks if uh, if that comes to fruition. Our third and final sponsor of For Fuck's Sake is the No Fix Address Walking Tours. It is their mission to provide employment to Melbourne's marginalised and disadvantaged individuals through unique walking tours of obscure areas. As a proud sponsor of FES, you will get 20% off any two tickets or more with the code FUCK20. You can claim that uh, discount online at nfacitytours.com and uh, that's Rev's business there with his lovely partner, Joe, and I can confirm as well, if you have ordered a Sud t-shirt, which we plugged a few weeks ago, those have arrived. They've been shipped to Melbourne. We're going to package them and distribute them out in the next couple of days. If you are keen on getting one of those, you can jump onto onto our website, which is mbfc.net, get onto the store link, and we'll ship that out to you within about two or three days now. So it's all pretty much here and ready to go. 
We'll look ahead to the match against Perth on Saturday night. It's sixth versus second. Both teams coming off very disappointing performances. Perth with just four wins so far this season. We haven't beaten Perth, though, since November 7, 2015, so it's been quite a while now. Um, the last four have resulted in Perth winning two and two draws. Uh, we don't win in Perth too often. What are your thoughts? What does Kev do? It's a it's a shit game to go to Perth after backing up in Wellington and even more so when you've got this decision whether you rest players, what do you do? Just got to trust the process. <laughs> Just got to trust the process. Uh, I don't expect too many players to be rested. Uh, the only thing I'm going to say that's going to happen is there's going to be a lot of yellow cards in this one. This year, Perth have got 42. We've got 35. Yep. And Andy Keogh will score. Roston Griffiths suspended. Mm-hmm. So there's one less handy. hot but, head to get a booking. But uh, Reese Williams apparently in clear the air talks with Tony Sage. Okay. Oh, really? So wow. whether that presages... Ooh. I can say that. <laughs> Sages a return to the fold for uh, Reese or not? Probably not. He wouldn't be Probably matched. Probably because there's nowhere else he can go. Well, Sydney were very keen on him. Sydney, yeah, but they've picked up uh, a Dutch defender. I think when it comes to transfers between A-League clubs, there's got to be a real sort of mutual agreement to release Probably. a player and all that. So. Just, just on passant, if I may say this about Reese Williams, I think it's almost the saddest scene I've actually dealt with in football. I was at yeah. St. Stythian's School, uh, which was the soccer who's training ground in Johannesburg in 2010. Uh the day that Pim Bake had to name his 23-man squad mm. for the World Cup, noon was the deadline. Reese Williams was still trying to pass the fitness test at 11.30. And then I saw him sit on the big uh, box that they had all the training gear in and the ice. And he was literally in tears. And Pim Bake, you know, saying, I can't put you in, son. And I felt so sorry for him because he's actually a very good player, Reese, in his heyday. He that was when he was... Yeah, excelling at Middlesbrough. Well, he would have been about 23, 24. He was yeah. going very well. He, and, you know, his is a career that's really been blighted by injury. Mm. And, you know, I, I think he would have made a massive difference to Australia. Uh, had he been, he would have been a regular Premier League player, I think, and, and probably a regular Socceroo all the time. Mm. Yeah. Kev will be forced into, into some changes, though, with yeah. um, yep. Gary O'Gone and also Fahid Ben Kalfala. Uh, we'll start off with the replacement, Phil Kalfala. You'd say, naturally, it's going to be Austin. Is that correct? Well, that's who occupied the position at the start of the season. Uh, although Ingham, in the last few weeks, particularly well when Austin was injured, um, you know, he's been getting more time. So I think it's a toss-up there uh, between those two. What about Maxi Baister? You know, will Maxi get a game? Uh, I don't think on that left-hand side. I wouldn't think so. Unless, because I think he's he wants to use that left foot to uh, to have shots at goal. I don't know if so he's going to... So cut in, play him on the right. Yeah. yeah. Can't you just play him at striker? No, that's not going to happen. Lynchy, do, do you it? ever wonder when you see Kev's formations roll out, do you ever wonder to yourself, is he ever going to play two up front? I reckon a lot of our listeners want to know that. Well, you mean instead of the kind of... The three that they go with now. Uh, I mean, well, two strikers. Two, like a 4 4 2 That's type right. thing or a 3 5 2. Yep. Or, uh, probably not, no. I mean, he's, he's kind of wedded to 
the style that he's got. It depends on who he signs. I think coaches are essentially pragmatists, and if if they try they try and play in a certain way, so they tend to sign players to fit the structure they want to play in. However, if they end up through force of circumstance or happenstance signing a different type of player, they may well alter their structure. And Gary out, who replaces Gary Georgievsky, you'd say he can play he's, on either side. He's probably the favourite to yeah. take that over. Yeah, Mad Maso Dan, he'll, yeah. he'll be in for sure. Yeah, yeah I'd say he'd play, and you can either play Broxy at right back or stick Georgievsky there. Broxy is yeah. wonderful, isn't he? Yeah, uh, we, we discussed we him last week. He's amazing. Week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's coming up to, to being the, uh, the all time. Melbourne Victory uh, appearance leader so shortly as well. Uh, quick predi- predictions. Uh, we'll start with Buds. Uh, we don't win in Perth. Yeah. Uh, I think the last time we won in there and the last one I can remember, Archie nicked the 90th minute winner three years ago. And then before that, I can't ever remember. They always towel us up. We never turn up there. This was the one I have in the, out of the two that I had penciled in as a loss. I reckon 2-1 to Perth. Victory never win in Perth, except when they do win, and this will be the time. Oh, Ooh. I hope so, I hope so. Ooh, I'm going to um, actually disagree with you both. I think it'll be a 1-1 draw. I'm going to say a loss as well. I think this uh, this week's going to be a disaster for us, and let's just move on to Australia Day. Yep. We'll finish it up there. Thanks, boys, for joining us. Lynchy, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for coming on, answering some questions and having a bit of a chin wag with us. And thanks for the chips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, That's it for us. We will be back next Monday to discuss uh, everything and preview the big Australia Day game. But for now, it is goodbye. Mon the vac. Mon. Trust the process. Adios. Here's a thought. What if you woke up to find you'd won $20,000 every month for 20 years? Imagine the possibilities. Set for life from New South Wales Lotteries. Grab an entry in-store or online today.